Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker Knapp, and I'm here with my co-host, Vivica Hansen-Denegri. Hey, how are you, Vivica? I'm doing great, Susan. It's so nice to see your lovely face. It's <laughs> it's one of those sort of cold and wet October days here in, in um, Connecticut. What's it like where you are? We had that. It wasn't so much cold, but we had horrible downpour of rain, I think, from the tropical storm. And today it is just clearing. We've had sun for the first time in like three and a half days. Um, so yay. And we're starting to see a little bit of fall color here, more in the western part of North Carolina, but it's um, it's coming in here. So that's exciting. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Me too. Me too. Fall is just so beautiful here in New England. And I know that you enjoy it too, because I Remember so many quilts that you have made that feature fall colors and fall imagery, things like leaves and beautiful pumpkins and stuff like that. So I know that you're just as into those uh, those warm orangey golds and green colors as I am. Yeah, I love I love doing fall subjects, and um, this year I realized how many pumpkin quilts I had done. I started posting a lot of them on social media because I think people need the pretty eye candy right now when we're all stressed out. So I've been trying to post a lot of those and I realized that I have like six or seven pumpkin quilts and I was like, well, I need to do another one. So you um, really I did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had a photo that I had done a drawing of and I, I decided I would work from the drawing because I'm trying in some ways to work a little bit less realistic. So this is a little bit more stylized and it's got some visible, paint lines and some marker lines on it. I used the Posca um, paint markers on top of the paint. And so I'm having fun with it. And it's almost ready to baste and start, um, I can start quilting soon. So I'm really excited about it. I'm going to try to get it done before Halloween. Well, I've been enjoying watching your progress because first of all, I think that sort of popped up after our last podcast recording with um, Catherine Redford, I think it was, where we talked about um, the fact that October is our birthday month. Yeah. And we sort of sort of have a, a sort of interesting parallel, I think, um, between our lives that I didn't realize when I met you. It's probably 10 years ago now or something like that. Um, but that our birthdays are the same year, but one day apart. Your, your um, October 31st, which is actually Halloween day, and I'm the day before that. And I think that part of our love for the month is and the season comes from having that special feeling like you're tied to that season because of a birthday. Yeah. So I don't know, and do especially around that? right around the holiday with all those traditions and rituals and memories that you build around Halloween. Right, right. And I and that's a sort of interesting segue into what our topic for today is, which is um, one of those rituals that many people do either in their birthday month or in at the end of the year, which is to set goals for their next trip around the sun. So um, the two of us are going to be actually having this conversation entirely today. And I think it's sort of an interesting um, change in some of the format that we've done before. But the reason for this and the topic that we've chosen, setting your artistic goals, is because you and I are both sort of at that moment where it's time to set our artistic goals for our next year. So we're actually recording this before our birthdays, and uh, this isn't going to be released. This podcast won't be released until this, I think it's the second week of November when it's supposed to be coming out. And I did want to talk about 
all of these things prior to the end of the month and the beginning of November, because there are just so many crazy things going on. It's sort of interesting to approach creating our goals before we know the outcome of an important election um, in so many of our states and, and across the United States for our, for our um, leaders. So I didn't want that to actually color how we are going to address our goals. And um, I don't know. What do you think about that, Susan? I think the other thing that is really important is that we're coming through um, or going into a critical point with COVID-19. We don't know what the fall and the winter is going to bring, but we are hopeful that next year we're going to find a way out of this and things are going to get better, that we're going to see fewer people getting sick and dying and that we're going to, um, you know, we're going to be more hopeful again. So I think it's a good time to set goals and to think about them because um, it helps you to be more hopeful. You know, if you have something to look forward to, something that you know you're supposed to be doing, something you're committed to, it gives you the energy to move forward through what might be a difficult fall and winter and into next year, which we hope will be much better. Goodbye, 2020. Hello, 21. (laughs) Goodbye, 56. Hello, 57. (laughs) That's right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with those thoughts in mind, let's take a very short break and come right back and talk about our goals for 2021. Great. At the end of every year, it is a common practice for artists to take stock in their accomplishments, to reflect on their goals, and to set a fresh path for creativity. Making a commitment to goals that influence your artwork can be a life-changing experience. Vivica and I take different approaches to our creative practices. I've worked with a business coach and take my artwork seriously because it is my business. And I commit each year to a different word or intention to lead my limited time in the studio and to guide my growth and development. Both of these approaches are valid and lead to personal growth, but they're not the only way to work. The important thing is to find a way to set goals and evaluate your progress that works for you. So Susan, when you say that you have worked with a creativity coach in the past, can you tell me how that went? And I know it wasn't necessarily just a creativity coach, but you actually had a business coach. Right. So when I, I guess it was about 23 years ago, um, I decided to stop working my job full time. I had been working at the Charlotte Observer as a graphic designer, page designer, and I really wanted to be at home with my older daughter who was two at the time. And so I was at home working as a freelance graphic designer and doing some writing, also starting to do some quilt pattern design. And I really felt like I needed guidance on that. I needed someone to help me structure and think about how I was going to structure my business. So I found a person who needed some graphic design work and we traded because I couldn't afford to pay a business coach. Trading's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. She was not a life coach, and she wasn't really a creativity coach, although there was definitely that component. So we would talk by phone once a week for months, and it was it was very interesting. It was value very valuable. I think I got a lot out of it. There are some things I really remember. One of the first things she taught me was that it's really important before you set goals 
and figure out how to reach those goals, you need to think about your values. So she had me do the very first thing I think was she had me write a draft mission statement for my life and my business, which I wanted to make the same thing. You know what I mean? Like I wanted my business to be something I loved doing and that was important to my life and that was intermeshed with my personal life and my personal goals. So we wrote a mission statement and I was trying to find it today and I couldn't, I, I have to dig it out and see. It would be really interesting since it's been 23 or four years. And I wonder if your mission has changed over the years too, because sometimes, you know, yeah, you change them. Even in my, the businesses that I've worked for and the organizations that I've worked for, we revisit mission statements frequently, like more frequently than is comfortable mm -hmm. for me, like every two or three years. And you know, when I was in corporate communications, we had to do that whole thing with the mission statement. It drove me insane. Um, every like three or four years, we had to rewrite the mission statement and then we had to communicate it. I always thought it was a little bit hokey <laughs> to tell you the truth, but I can see the value in it because it forces you to kind of confront your raw self. If you have to write a mission statement personally, you have to think about what you value, what you want, what you want to achieve, what you want to do with your life that will make a difference, that after you're gone, people will know you for something and that you will have made a positive change in the world. And you really have to, yeah, you're sifting down all of those values into one or two sentences. It's, it is actually a very, very difficult thing to do. And there are consultants that make an awful lot of money yes. guiding individuals and guiding individual organizations through that entire process. But I'm sure coming up with that mission statement for your business that you were putting together really helped you do the next steps, which were to set goals and strategies. Yeah. And um, the other thing that really, I, I still remember this and I still think about this a lot. So it must have, you know, left a big mark on me is that she had me play this little game with her where she told me, okay, what I'm going to do is I want you to pretend that I'm giving you money every day. And the first day I'm going to give you $10 and then it's going to double every single day. And we did this for, it was more than a month. And I, I'd have to go back and figure out how much money we got to. But so it grows exponentially. It's 10, then it's 20, then it's 40, then it's 80, then it's 160. So very quickly, we were up in the thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. So here's the deal. You can't, you have to pretend that you're getting this money. You don't have to pay taxes on it. You don't have to <laughs> report it in any way. And you have to spend it that day and you have to spend it on yourself. You can't say, I'm going to buy, you know, guitar lessons for my daughter, or I'm going to buy a house for my mother or whatever it is. You have to spend it on you. And at first it's like, oh, that'll be so easy and so fun. And I can, but it, it's trickier than you think. Um, so you start out, you know, with your 10 or $20, that's not a big deal, right? And you get to $80, maybe you can get yourself a massage, right? Or you can do this. But when you start getting hundreds of thousands of dollars and you have to decide every day how you're going to spend that money, I can tell you that I would spend the whole day, like I was out walking my dog or I was cleaning the house or I was working or whatever. And I was thinking, okay, how am I going to spend $200,000 today? <laughs> and I was really amazed at how difficult it was because you want to be able to spend it on other people. And when you have to spend it on yourself, it forces you to think about what you value. So a lot of what I ended up buying, interestingly enough, was I would decide I was going to buy huge acreage amounts of land in Montana or something like that. 
Because I value nature and beauty and privacy and space. And you probably wanted to preserve that land for yourself and your family and everything. Yeah. So I was thinking if I could, if I won the lottery and I actually could buy something for a lot of money like that, buying land is something I would definitely do to preserve it, to keep it safe and beautiful. And so I was buying it for me, but I kind of was buying it for the future too. You know, whether that's my kids or whether it could be turned Mm -hmm. into um, public parks after my death Um, Thinking about what things, if I was making an investment in myself, would also carry forward into something that I value deeply for, you know, the world as a whole. So if you and I played that game where you were giving me money and I would come up to that multi-million dollar level, actually, we did something very similar to this in a church group that I belonged to at one point. And I think I shocked everybody when... I said I would buy an Andrew Wyeth painting more than anything else. I wanted art. I wanted art in my home. And, you know, I think, again, everyone was like, really? That's what you would buy? You wouldn't buy, you know, a fancy car? And I'm like, no. Oh, my gosh. I can't even find my own car in the parking lot. Right. But you know what you're doing there? You're supporting an artist. So it is a gift in a way mm-hmm. to another person. So sometimes when we spend money, it can be a huge gift to others too. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And what you're doing with an exercise like that is you're saying what is important. So where your money is, there will your heart be mm. also. There's there's a actually a Bible verse um, from the book of Matthew, I think, that talks about you know how you make that kind of investment. But what I really find important about that too is it's not just your money; it's where your time is mm. and how you um, how you prioritize things. That tells you what is important. That's what that means to me. Right, right. And I think that you know when we are building our goals for a year to come. And you and I have to do this, whether it's, you know, we decide to do this as a New Year's um, resolution kind of a format, or if you do it from the birthday kind of format, which I sort of think about too along the way. Sometimes I give myself the whole fourth quarter of a year to actually decide what my goal for the year is, my word for the year, et cetera. And I still haven't decided, by the way. But when you're working toward that, and you're making your goals, you are saying, what is going to be my priority for the next year? So did you happen to do this last year, Susan? Did you make any art goals or business goals last year? I did. You know, I I had been teaching so much for the past 10 years, and I had kind of set this year aside as a year of a sabbatical for myself. Wow. Yeah, I, I know. I've seen so many teachers kind of burn out or get, and I felt like, you know, I needed some time to maybe develop new, new classes and new artwork and see if I wanted to go in a different direction. I wanted to see if I could focus on being an artist rather than just than being a teacher, put more of the focus on making art and possibly selling it in galleries or working through my local artist guild to build myself up as an artist and my techniques and my practice rather than teaching. Because when you teach, 
you're constantly getting ready for that next gig, right? So you come home and you, you know, you from one and you unpack, I get back into my household and I clean and I cook and I do the stuff I need to do at home and I deal with my life and my family. And then the next one rolls around and I got to pack my suitcase again and go out there. And so it takes over your life a lot and it can be very exhausting, especially since I'm an introvert. I think it's it's harder for me, even though I love it. And I love once I get there and I'm teaching and I'm meeting those people and I'm maybe helping them find their way into a technique or a thought process that will help them be a better artist or a better art quilter. It's wonderful. But it's also really exhausting for me. So I had planned this kind of sabbatical and then it kind of spun out of control because I had my kids come back home and live with me during the COVID in March in the spring. And I think I've been dealing with um, the emotions and the frustrations of this whole year. And so I haven't gotten as much done as I wanted to do. And some of it is that I didn't set goals. I didn't. But what you did is you changed you you changed your approach and you sort of changed your business model because you are you are in the business of art because you are an artist you're in the business of teaching because you are a, a um, art quilt teacher you're in the business of communication with the work that you do with me on Quilting Arts TV as the host of Quilting Arts TV you do you have a very broad business model. You've been an author. Mm-hmm. You do all sorts of things. And so you changed your business model and changed your approach. And yet there was something very unexpected that happened that through everybody's business model this year, by the way, Susan, not just yours, but through that all aside. And you know, you've been able to pivot and to do beautiful work and to work with me differently. You know, when when we think about it, you know, our our quilting arts TV Viewers will know very soon, if they're not listening to the podcast, they might not know yet, but they'll know that you were not able to go to the Quilting Arts TV taping. So the Quilting Arts TV uh, for our 2700 series, which is going to be released in January, it does look different because it has me as a co-host and it has you as a co-host. You're in five of the episodes or six maybe, and I'm in the rest of them. And then... um, you know, but we have a podcast, which has been a different way to reach an audience and a different way to, um, for you to communicate with your audience. Yeah. And on a different, on a different level too. Well, well, thank you for, that makes me feel better that you think I've just shifted instead of that I've fallen apart (laughs) because sometimes it does feel like that, but I I do, I do think that this is going to help me to make a plan and set some goals and, um, and figure it out. But I've never been one of those people who gets myself all in a tizzy if I don't get to some of those goals. It, it was really interesting to me when I was in college in the 80s, I had a good friend who was so incredibly focused. And she was a, I think she was business major and maybe computer science. Even I never touched a computer in my entire college career, but she took classes in it. And she had a five-year and 10-year plan I mean, this is like, she was, she was like 17 when I met her and she had a five-year plan and I just laughed at her. But would you know, she, I've stayed in touch with her a little bit and she has kept with those plans. She met her goals for five years and 10 years and 20 years. And I'll bet she still is. I probably need to touch base with her again. Some people are just like that too, you know, or maybe her mom or dad was a business person and said that, you know, when you go for your first interview, you need to have your Uh five-year plan. I was asked that question on an interview. I'm like, five years. Oh my gosh. 
I have no <laughs> idea. And I didn't realize that you didn't have to answer every question that they asked you. Yeah, to me, having a five or 10 year plan, there's a certain amount of hubris to having a five and 10 year plan because it assumes control. And if there's one thing I have learned in my life, especially in the last 10 years, is that control is only an illusion. And that you can do your best to try and you can tread water and stay on top as much as possible. But life is going to throw you curves. And the past 10 years for me have been dealing with my mother's death and then my father's dementia and helping to care for him. I'm just about to finish all of the estate stuff because I'm his executor. And then I think it will be turning a page in that mm -hmm. book. But with his dementia and all, or Alzheimer's, what I learned is that we don't have control and we have to constantly react to what is happening and just hang on and write the boat <laughs> and move on to the next thing. And so if you don't meet your goals, if you don't get everything checked off your to-do list, it just means that you're a human being doing the best you can in this crazy world. Well, that's why to-do lists have more than one page, because if you don't meet it today, then you just move it to mm -hmm. the next page. And I have to agree with you, you know, there's so much that's out of our control, but we do have control over a lot. And you have to realize that what you have control over is your attitude. And every day that you wake up, you have a choice of how you're going to meet the day and how you're going to greet all of the difficulties and wonderful things that happen. Yeah, I know. I well, you, On social media, you always say... The, th the thing about you have a choice and my choice for today is. And I remember following that and really thinking about that because you were going through some tough times there too. And it made me think about that a lot as well. So thanks for that. Anytime, Susan. Let me share what my last year word for the year was. And, you know, I can certainly fill you in on some of the other um, goals that I had done when I was working mostly in my studio as an artist and not working um, in a business. And, you know, for, for my business life, I certainly have goals. I have check marks and all of those things that every business has working for Golden Peak Media. And it's, it's wonderful to have those kind of things. But I'm going to um, put a picture up on our show notes of this little bracelet that my girlfriend gave me. And it's one of the My Intent bracelets. And just it's sort of a cute company that does that. But she had a bracelet made of my word of the year in 2020. And this says uncomfortable, because my word was uncomfortable. And I was thinking of it from the standpoint of art, I wanted to get really uncomfortable by being a beginner and trying things that I was just really bad at, or perceived myself as being not so good at. So do you think your choice of word brought all of this chaos down on us? I am so <laughs> sorry, everybody. It's totally my fault. A little bit too uncomfortable. Everything about this year is uncomfortable. I feel like I've been uncomfortable way more than I've been comfortable this year. I'm uncomfortable wearing my mask. I am uncomfortable when I go out and I see people <laughs> not wearing a mask. I am uncomfortable being in my house with my family and I'm uncomfortable when they're far away from me. I'm uncomfortable in my art and I am uncomfortable in the new responsibilities I've had in my job. Oh my goodness, filling in for you for Quilting Arts TV, I was a little bit uncomfortable. I did get more comfortable with it. <laughs> but it's sort of like every part of my life has had something to do with this word. And it was a totally appropriate word. But what it made me do in the beginning of the year before this whole COVID pandemic thing really got uncomfortable was that I, I had made decisions that for my art, I really wanted to grow and I wanted to learn to be a better artist. And I think that comes through drawing. Hmm. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to 
really try to learn to draw. I'm really going to try. And so I did take a sketchbook class. I took that with Jane LaFazio. I have kept up a journaling practice that I don't show anybody for the most part because I haven't gotten that much better. (laughs) I've tried other kind of, you know, quick art classes on YouTube and things like that just to make me comfortable with the pen and a pencil. And I've really studied, Susan, what you've done. And you probably don't know how much I've studied it. I have really, really looked hard at uh, drawings that you've made. I'm trying to learn about light sources and shadow and about crosshatching and dotting to make shadows more beautiful and more illustrative and things like that. So I think that for the most part, this has been a real year of growth for me, even though, unfortunately, I chose the word that made the whole world fall apart. (laughs) All right, let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back. When this whole thing started with people choosing word, I think I did it the first year and then I didn't do it really after that. And I I guess sometimes I fight the fatty type things that everybody else is doing. So maybe that's part of it. But I think sometimes a word like that or a tool like a like I keep a little notebook where I keep all my to do lists in it. So I have I check everything off and I keep it in a, a pretty notebook on my desk all the time. Something like that can help you focus. It can help keep you on track. Mm-hmm. And the part of the trick is figuring out what works for you because what works for me might not work for you. So is the to-do list like a strategy list? Because for instance, when I worked in business prior to publishing, I worked in biotech pharmaceuticals. And so I had a pretty heavy duty job and I would do smart goals. And I know that these are goals that just about everybody who's worked in business in the last like 30 years has probably had to do. These are goals that acronym SMART and I have to make sure that I get it right here, stands for specific goals that are measurable, achievable, realistic, and time dependent, Hmm. or they have like a, a time period where they would stop. And so if you make, say, five SMART goals at the beginning of your measurement period, whether it's right after your birthday or in January 1 or, you know, for the first six months of the year or whatever, your goals would be SMART because you'd be able to measure them over a certain period of time. But then you would also from the sub goals, you would sort of make a plan of how you're going to reach those goals. Hmm. And so actually, when I started in my art business prior to working in publishing, I think it was probably in like 2009 or 2010, can't remember the year, I made a list of five goals that I wanted to achieve by the end of that year. And I got them all done by February 15th. Wow. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was like all of a sudden, I'm like, what is happening? All of my goals are being reached. Hmm. And they were, I thought, pretty far. They weren't easy. Yeah. They were stretch goals. There was one, I wanted to have art in Quilting Arts Magazine. That was one of them. I'll never forget this. And like, wait a second, I got the offer letter. And I'm like, what is that about? And then all of a sudden, all of these goals. So like February 15th, I obviously did not have an idea of where I could take my art in a one-year period of time. they All of my goals really ended up being short-term things that I actually reached. And that made me take a step back and reevaluate these weren't the right goals. These were steps along the way. What's the real goal? I see what you're saying. The real goal was to have a business 
that was, you know, sustainable, selling art and getting commissions and things like that. So basically, one of the things that my business coach and I talked about was the difference between what she called goals and strategies. Yes. So the strategies are the steps that you take to reach your goal. The goal should be something big. Yes. And the strategies should be the little steps towards that. So it sounds like maybe you had instead of setting smart goals, you had set strategies, but you weren't thinking about the big picture. Is that what you're saying? I think that I did not have any idea what my big picture could be. Hmm. I just think I I missed the mark in the beginning. But the smart thing about it is that I reevaluated and said, I thought my goal was to get in Quilting Arts Magazine. And really, my goal was to be an art quilter mm-hmm. and artist. Right. And so... I reevaluated and said, okay, so these were steps and I just didn't realize that I I had done it. It sounds to me like one of the things maybe you didn't spend enough time on was brainstorming for your goals. And I'm a huge Mm -hmm. fan of brainstorming. Being in corporate communications and I worked for trade associations and for newspapers and in corporate communications and we did a lot of brainstorming. And one of the things that I think a lot of people do is that they shut down their brainstorming because they don't do it right. They don't think about everything with the sky as the limit. They are constantly monitoring, self-correcting, editing. I don't think I can do that. I'm not good enough at that. So they they shut themselves down before they've even gotten started. So there's an illustrator that I really love that I follow on social media, um, on Mar Wynn. And she talks a lot about brainstorming. She has, she has some really nice posts on her website or her blog where she talks about creativity and business issues. So I recommend it. But she says that you need to really think about what would you wish for if you were absolutely confident that you could accomplish it? And what thing would you put on that list that you maybe always wanted to do, but you've never tried it because you lack the time or the expertise or the money or whatever it is? So think completely outside of what you could do to what you want to do. And then that frees you up a little bit more to set goals that are really important. And you know, I think What's interesting about this, Susan, is that what you're talking about is getting input from others as well. You know, it's okay to look all of this up and to Google it, Mm -hmm. but it's also okay to hire someone to hire a creativity coach. And there are plenty out there, plenty of wonderful people who also specialize in art quilting who could help you meet those goals. And it's also okay to have a mentor, like we've talked about before, mm-hmm. that can really help you set the goals and reach the goals and to be a strong critic of your work. And what I mean by that too is to help you look at your work critically with the eye of an artist and help you reach those artistic goals. The other thing that is important for me because I tend to procrastinate out of fear sometimes, is to have somebody who's like what they call an accountability partner, somebody who will kick me in the rear end a little bit. And I've been doing that a little bit in the past year with Lyric Kennard. I don't think she's kicking me quite hard enough, maybe, because there's some stuff. <laughs> Do you kick back? Well, Do you kick her? I mean, is it is it a mutual relationship here that you have? Sometimes we've done a better job at it maybe than others, but I, I think I've been resisting it this year for a number of reasons. And for example, 
example, here's a, a goal that I had set for myself during this sabbatical is that I really wanted to do some more video classes. And it's almost like I knew this coronavirus thing was coming like three, four years ago. This was like, I'm going to do this because since I'm an introvert, it would be really nice to be able to do classes from my own home. And it would be a nice way to not have to travel as much if I didn't want to or whatever. But have I done it? No. And I think some of it is that it's maybe not what I really want to do. So I've discovered, you know, maybe I set that goal thinking that's what I should do. But is it really what I want to do or what I need to do? Yeah, sometimes it's good to move out of your comfort zone, but other times it's good to realize why you have one. You know, you might have a comfort zone for a certain reason. And Susan, you have been talking about doing more video classes for a long time. I think I have four or five years since we've been chatting about it. And I haven't done it. Is it fear or is it really the discomfort of doing it in your own home and having to do all of the instructional design that goes along with it and having to do all of the follow-up? Because it's it's almost like, you know, a lot of people say, I really need a website. And like, yeah, you do. Because if you want to be if you want to be an artist who gets, you know, the kind of, you know, depending on what kind of work you want to be doing, how you want to be selling it, or how you want to be showing it, you probably need to have some sort of a web presence. Mm -hmm. So having a, a website's a good idea. But you can also hire it out. You don't have to do it everything yourself. And I think a lot of people want to do everything themselves. Right. But you've done amazing videos for us corporately, mm -hmm. but you haven't had to do that instructional design yourself. You haven't had to do all of the taping, the editing, etc. Well, you know, part so, of part of my realization though is that it's not what I really want to do. What I really want to do is make art, right? I want to just be in my studio and have the time. I don't want to take that time to learn how to do it. Because it's a huge time investment. I know it is. I look at what other people are doing. It's a huge amount of time. I would rather be making something beautiful. So Susan, I think you just identified one of your goals for 2021. Exactly. Make more art. Well, but then the problem becomes, okay, so some, what happens when you set your goal? You know what you want to do, right? But I still have to eat. I still have to pay the bills. I still have to pay the college tuition. So there's a certain amount there that is like, what's realistic? Where when your goals run head on into reality <laughs> of, you know, let's say people want, somebody wants to be a brilliant artist, but they don't have the skills or what happens if they have to earn a paycheck? That's where the strategies come in. How do I do that? Make more art. And then where's the accountability there? Where is the timeliness there? And what is the actual reason for the making art? So you have to make art for you that feeds your soul, but then you have to make art that feeds your pocketbook too. To sell, yes. Figure out ways to sell that art if I'm making it. Right, but you know, I think that the teacher model is that you're selling the way to make the art. You're selling the technique and you're selling yourself. Right, right. In a good way selling the ability to make other people's art better. Right. And maybe it's finding a balance with those things and trying to ease a little bit more into the artist side and a little bit away from the teaching side, but still doing both. So one thing that I noticed when I got back into working a corporate job in publishing from being a, I call myself it was like a three quarter time artist because I had so much running around with my children that you couldn't possibly call it full time of what I did. But anyway, so I had to move from being the full time artist where everything that I did artistically was about me to working in a job where my goal is to make other people look good. 
I think that my role is now no longer to promote my own artwork. And it's been very interesting to see how my artwork has changed. I become more crafty. Huh. I, I, um, you know, in my time that I have to spend in my studio, I am not making large art quilts to sell or to hang in, you know, galleries or in shows anymore. I'm making more things that take less time that are still fun and beautiful. And sometimes I sit down and do a really intricate piece of artwork or whatever, but that's not really where my focus is anymore. And so that I think is why I don't go for the big art goals. I am doing my goal setting or my intention setting, maybe I should call it, is very, very different than yours is now because I'm not working in that same way. And my goals at work are really, really different. Right, right. You're finding a way to fit art in around all the other stuff that is so busy with your with your job. Yeah, but my number one goal at work is to make everyone whose work appears in the products that I create beautiful. And you do it. Well, thank you. But that is that is absolutely my number one goal is mm-hmm. to create beauty and to make everybody look good because if you all don't look good, we don't look good. Well, that's interesting too because I think one of the things I've always wanted to do and I don't know that I've really found a good way to do it is that that part that I talked about before with making the world a better place, making it so that after you're gone, people will say, oh, she did this. She helped me do this or she changed the world in a good way. And I definitely feel like I do that through teaching because I know that I've taken classes from people and I've learned from people and it's changed my life. It's taken me in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And that's such an amazing gift to people. But I wish I could find a way to do it in a bigger way. But you do it through curation too and through the work that you do with the A Better World group? Right. I've been curating with Lyric and we're hoping next year, we're still hoping we'll get to do part two where we're encouraging people to make art quilts about people who've made the world a better place. I think this next year, the theme is going to be envisioning a future. So a better future for our children, grandchildren going on, what that would mean. But yeah, I think curating is definitely a way that you can help lift other artists up too, give them a place to exhibit, give them a way to shine. And let's not forget that we can also do this not only through our own actions in our artwork and through things like that, but we can also do that through supporting organizations. So supporting organizations that promote the arts and that promote the good things in the world too. Yes. So it seems to me that I got a lot of work to do, Susan, in the next uh, two and a half weeks. (laughs) Me too. Into my birthday. You have one more day than I do. (laughs) you're so lucky you have one more day but um i really need to set my intentions for the year and hopefully i will be able to winnow them down to a single word that will be an encompassing word that won't have negative effects on the world like my last one did (laughs) pick a good one pick a good one this year i'm really gonna try because i think that having an intention is such a strong strong way to start and whether your intention is a single word or a list of goals. I think you're well on your way started, Susan. I think that, you know, we can all leave the world a better place and we can all, you know, at at the end of that year, we can evaluate and we can evaluate visually by the art that we create. We can evaluate by the content that we create and we can definitely lead ourselves to making good choices and great work. Yes. Well, that's the plan and I'm going to make a plan next. Cool. 
Cool. So <laughs> I'm the one that shows the quote that ends today's episode. I actually put this on our little list because it really, really spoke to me. And Susan, I hope it speaks to you too. It is probably the shortest quote we'll ever have too. It's, it's by the artist Gerhard Richter. And the quote is, art is the highest form of hope. Hmm. And I just thought that really was a, a quote that resonated with me because, you know, when you make art, you're putting yourself out there, first of all, as an artist, and you're bearing your soul quite frequently. But it also shows that you have faith in humanity, that they will respond to the work that you make. Yes. That's what that quote meant to me. Well, and I think as an artist, you are almost the ultimate in vulnerability. You're exposed. You're exposing mm-hmm. your, I mean, good art <laughs> exposes the vulnerability, the the hopes, the dreams, the fears of the maker. And we all need that hope for this next year. We sure do. Love that quote. And you know what? I do see hope. I have a glimmer of hope that we are going to make it through 2020 and we are going to continue as a society, as a place that loves one another and is respectful and kind and responsive to our fellow man. So that's the kind of art that I'm hoping to make. And that is the kind of world that I'm hoping for. Amen, sister. With you. Amen. Nice talking to you today, Susan. You too, Vivica. Thanks for listening. And remember, there's lots more information about the things we discussed in this episode, including photos and links on our show notes page. Just follow the link in the description on our website, quiltingdaily.com. If you want to hear episodes as soon as they come out, please subscribe. Just search for Quilting Arts Podcast in whatever app you use, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you do, please leave a message, a rating, and a review. We'd love to hear from you. The Quilting Arts Podcast is a production of Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Vivica Hansen-Denegri, and my friend, Susan Brubaker-Knapp. This episode was recorded and edited by Chad Franzen. Sarah Erickson is our web producer, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer. <laughs>